today on Abounding Grace. For those of you ladies that, and it could, it could even be some ladies that are listening in on the radio right now, I, I don't look down on you because there's that desire in your heart to be liberated. Jesus came to liberate you. Jesus came to give you freedom. But listen, true freedom is only in him. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found trying to gain some kind of supremacy to make up for the failures of men over the years. But true liberation in you and I is found in great humiliation or humbling before Jesus. That's really where it is. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You In your study of the Bible, have you ever encountered a verse or two that left you asking, how in the world does that apply to us? I think it's safe to say 1 Corinthians 11 is one such place. Here the subject of head coverings comes up. There were some women in the church at Corinth who chose not to wear head coverings and this caused quite a stir. Well, here we are centuries later, and obviously that's not a cultural norm in America. So do we toss this passage out thinking it no longer applies? Actually, Pastor Ed Taylor says it has something very important to say to us. Here he is now on Abounding Grace. Verse 3, but I want you to know that the head of every man, this is back in chapter 11 now, that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head was shaved. For if a woman is not covered, verse 6, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as the woman was from the man, even so the man is also through the woman, but all things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Now, some of us don't need to worry about that. That's not a problem. You're never going to have long hair. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her as a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Great section of Scripture. Let's move on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we want to look at this. This is a lot to think on, especially those of you that have read ahead. One of the areas in the church in Corinth, culture, context. Let's look at context first. One of the problems that was happening in the church was a disorderly conduct in their gatherings. We're going to see it more with communion. We're going to see it more in this church with the exercising of the gifts. We're going to see that Paul's going to tell them later that God desires to have things decent and in order. And this is where he begins 
to talk to them about decent, decency and order. Some women in the Corinthian church were acting out in their freedoms, because that's the context. Some of the women were acting out in their freedoms beyond what was proper and edifying for the congregation. There was disorder, we notice, in the prayer meetings, and then we'll see it later, there was disorder in communion. Paul wants us to understand that there's order with the Lord. There's creative order. The women in the church in Corinth were liberated by the gospel, just like you ladies today have been liberated by Jesus Christ. You don't need a movement or a society or any type of man-centered movement to be liberated because in Jesus Christ, you're free. Tremendous freedom are afforded to women. The gospel of Jesus not only freed women, but it freed men, it freed families, it freed boys, it freed girls, it freed slaves, it freed Jews, Gentiles. The gospel brings great freedom and hope to anyone that receives Jesus. See, that's one of the things that God uses to get your attention. Did you know that? I'm speaking to those of you that don't have a faith in Jesus right now. For those of you that do, you can look back and go, you know that you're right. There was a constriction in my life. There was a hindrance in my life. There was an addiction in my life. There was part of my life where I didn't have freedom. I thought I had freedom, but all the decisions I made just brought me into slavery. Slavery to what? To sin and sinful behavior. For some, it was worse than others. For some, your slavery to sin got you in a lot of trouble in this world, outwardly. You're getting in trouble with the law, you're getting in trouble with people, you're getting in trouble with school, you're getting in trouble at work because you were living a life of disorder, not freedom. You were living a life of slavery. How do I know that? Even though I don't know your personal story, how can I say that with authority? Well, because Jesus said it. Jesus said that you have a choice to present yourself either a slave to sin. Really, he asked the question, he says, don't you know who you present yourself to? That's whose slave you are. So when you and I, even as believers, decide to present ourselves to sin, immediately in that instance you become a slave to that sin. Now God can free you, but the problem is is that you're dabbling in these areas thinking you're all in control and you're absolutely in that instant. It probably even happened before when you made the decision in your mind, before the action ever happened, boom, you became a slave to that sin. You think about it, and then after the fact you're wondering if you're going to be found out, you want to cover it up, or even more, sin has that tantalizing temptation, you want to go do it again. And again, before you know it, you don't even care anymore. And so outside of Jesus, we lived in as absolute slaves to this world. We lived in this world. We lived for this world. And for some of you, it it brought great outward problems. I happen to be one of those people. Great outward problems. Not only with the law, but with all the people that God brought into my life. But you know, it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always bring problems outwardly. You could be a really good person and a really good friend and you can have really good relationships but have problems inwardly. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God so it all has the same result. We're separated from God, hopelessly lost. But the symptoms could be outward. They also could be inward. Maybe the sin in your life has brought you to hide in a closet, to stay inside, to stay away from people, to to beat yourself up, to, I mean, you, you could tell. If we had you come up, you could tell me what it means. Things are going good with people, but inside you're in turmoil. You're just crushed. And you see, when you repent of your sins, when you turn your back on that slavery, because you can in the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit might even bring, I'm mentioning the word sin, and I'm not mentioning any sins right now. The, the, the Lord, through his Spirit, could be bringing great, heavy conviction on your life right now. 
You could feel and sense the work of God's Spirit coming on you in the sense of bringing conviction to you so that you can make a decision to forsake sin, to have freedom, to understand the freedom and the hope that comes through a life free from sin. That's why the Bible describes somebody that's been freed from sin going back to sin. The Bible describes it kind of ugly. I don't know if you've seen this, but I know all our dogs used to do it. I just used to trip out. You know, Molly would just, just hurl everything right on the carpet. And we're going, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? By the time we got back, she's eating it. Like, you dumb dog. You barf and then you eat it on top of that. And so what does the Bible describe? People that go back, believers that go back, like a dog returning to its vomit. It's just disgusting. It's nasty. How could it? It didn't taste good the first time, man. It's not going to taste good the second time, right? Freedom. You and I, as believers, we have entered into great freedom and hope. And that's what happened in the Corinthian church. The gospel exploded on this immoral city, and freedom just, it's beautiful to be free. We misunderstand freedom in thinking that it doesn't have limitations, though. Freedom always has limitations. Always has boundaries that are God-ordained. The ladies, in this case, in this section, had stepped outside of those boundaries. They had stepped outside of the order and decency in the gatherings, and Paul's addressing it. In the days of the first century, in both Grecian and Roman and Jewish culture, the woman was treated just a little bit above a slave. That was the role of women, and in many cultures today, the view is similar. Any country, any Islamic country today, this moment, even perhaps a Muslim woman might be listening in, her hope is in Jesus Christ. Because women are not highly valued in those places where the gospel doesn't rule and reign. Truly, husbands, when you don't value Jesus Christ in your home, your wife will be treated as such. It's just the way it is. It could be in the microcosm of a home. It could be in a country where Jesus isn't valued and worshipped. Christian homes, where culturally you haven't broken the ties of understanding that your wife has freedom in the Lord to be loved and cherished and blessed. And really, our responsibilities, guys, is what? To love our wives as Christ loved the church. And when there's not a love relationship as us as husbands with our Jesus, then it becomes very, very difficult for us to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Women were considered the property of their husbands. They were considered second-class citizens. And as a result of the treatment of women, there, there even was a women's liberation movement that was already developing in the first century. In Rome, there were several women's groups getting together among the women who had resources. And so even in what we see today, the attempt of, of women to rise up and be liberated is nothing new. Methodologies might be different or how things are trying to be accomplished. It's unfortunate today that in the women's liberation movement that men are put down. That men are, it's almost like the, the women's liberation movements, and I recognize that maybe some of you ladies might be involved in that now or you might have come out of it, but listen, just from the perspective of a guy, 
the women's liberation movement in our society tried to suppress men. And that's not Jesus. Women aren't to be suppressed. Men aren't to be suppressed. The key is to understand God's design. And of course a society that turns their back on God, the people that turn their back on God, aren't going to be interested in God's design. They're not going to be interested in what God's heart is for men and for women. And so for those of you ladies that, and it could, it could even be some ladies that are listening in on the radio right now, I, I don't look down on you because there's that desire in your heart to be liberated. Jesus came to liberate you. Jesus came to give you freedom. But listen, true freedom is only in him. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found trying to gain some kind of supremacy to make up for the failures of men over the years. But true liberation in you and I is found in great humiliation or humbling before Jesus. That's really where it is. You and I find ourselves at the cross, men and women, you know what? We're both going to be bowing down to our Jesus. And that's where great equality comes. The value of women is high. I've shared with this, but I challenge you. I challenge you to go home and spin a globe around. If you have one, just spin it around. And then stop it with your finger. And whatever country you're on, Ask yourself, has the gospel reached this country? Because everywhere the gospel has reached a country, women have been liberated. And then you just spin it around, and you hit a place where the gospel is rejected, and that's where you find women are treated disrespectfully. Women are treated as second-class citizens, which isn't God's heart at all. We even understand from the original creation in the book of Genesis the value of how men and women complement one another, not compete. It's not a competition. I, I guess if there is any competition between men and women, it should be competing to how fast we can humble ourselves before Jesus. Have you ever noticed how arguments stop when one person humbles themselves? There might be over here, but the person humbling himself isn't coming back, and eventually has to just... <laughs> what happens when two people honor themselves? Oh man, glorious work. The Holy Spirit just swoops right in and begins to work. Paul addresses this issue in the early church with God's divine order. God established this order. Even as Jesus is the head over man, God has established that the man is the head over the woman. God being the head of Christ. These terms, we immediately, especially in a defensive mode, we immediately, or an offensive mode. Now, the ladies might be feeling right, wait, 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 I'm not any worse than a man. And the man's going, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, head, I'm the head, yes, she's below me. These aren't value statements. These aren't statements of superiority. Because in true freedom, there's equality in Jesus. So don't think of him immediately a man of going, yes, honey, I am the head of the home. You know, guys, if you have to say that, you have lost your authority in the home. You got to walk around, I'm the head of the home, I'm the head of the home. And then you ladies always come back, you know, especially in the marriage, but I'm the neck. <laughs> no. The headship of our home is Jesus. The headship of our church is Jesus. It's God the Father, God the Son, and in the order of the home, the man is the head of the home, the responsible party. Not the power-wielding party, but the responsible party. Too much is given, much is required. 
And he's using the divine order, not of superiority, not of value. We look at the office of the President of the United States is held by a human being. Because he has authority and power, it doesn't make him any better than anyone. It doesn't make us any worse. Or because we're not the President of the United States, it doesn't make us any better or any worse. Humans are humans. There is that attempt in our society to value people by how much money they make. Jesus doesn't do that. By what position in society they have. Jesus doesn't do that. By what they have or what they don't have, the church brings and erases those distinctions and we become one in Jesus. Not superiority, not value, but watching the example of Jesus, remember, he willingly, voluntarily, and gladly submitted to the Father. So there's a relationship of submission from the Son to the Father. Then there needs to be a a relationship of submission of the man to Jesus. And then there's a relationship of submission from the woman to the man. And that's what Paul is carrying out here. And then in verse 4, he speaks of these head coverings. And even as you go to Israel today, you will still see head coverings. Many of the stops on our tour, as we take groups through Israel, require head coverings as a sign of respect. Turn over to Exodus chapter 34. I'll give you one of the sources that head coverings have come to traditionally among the Jewish people. Head coverings. Many of the stops on our tour require for the men to put on a head covering and they'll, they'll even provide some of them. They look like little french fry trays that you get it in and out. And I always get made fun of because it fits perfectly on my flat head. And you just put it on, it doesn't fall off, and you go through to respect uh, some of the spaces and some of the places. And then the ladies would have a shawl or something to cover their head out of respect. And some people believe it comes from here in Exodus chapter 34. And because there's so many rabbis teaching, there's so many sources. But in Exodus chapter 34, some rabbis taught that because Moses covered his face after he met with God on Mount Sinai, that men should be covered too. And in Exodus chapter 34, verse 11, it Nah, let's do 31. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses, verse 33, was finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. It was that afterglow of the presence of God And he covered himself with a veil. So some rabbis said, because Moses did it, we should do it. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, just as a side note, something to chew on. Paul explains exactly what was happening with Moses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul explains what really what Moses was doing was not setting up a standard for head coverings, but rather he was simply hiding the glory or veiling the glory that was fading away. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you can, you can see as he begins to open up these lives that are being changed, he reads through until he gets to about verse 11, and he says, For if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. That's all he was doing. He wasn't saying this is the way men should worship God for the rest of eternity, put a veil over your head. But it was picked up that way. That's how traditions of man enter in the church. It's just the way it works. So that looks good. It starts out great. Look what Moses did. We should do that too. 
So now that it comes into the church, Paul's giving some background. That's Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, in today's message, you encouraged us to consider the culture and be sensitive to that. Can you think of a modern-day example that our listeners might be able to relate to? Well, there's such freedom, Larry, in the Scriptures for ministry to take place, especially in women. Um, Women are so valuable to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there is a necessity to know what culture we live in and minister within the culture. Now, the idea of seeing the culture changed is actually not our responsibility. What what happens is we take on a responsibility that's not ours. God shapes and molds the culture. We are his tools. And I think of a modern day example of being sensitive to the culture would be technology. Um, There is such a resistance to using technology in the church today, in many churches, not a lot, but many. And there's, like it's been over the years, there's such a resistance, uh, like this idea of having a colored lights and haze on the stage during music of a worship service. There's so much drama and, and disagreement over this topic. Why? Um, it's a, what's wrong with having a lively worship session? What's wrong with the Holy Spirit using an atmosphere to bring people into presence? What's sinful about that? Like, we need to draw lines on what's sinful, not try and draw lines of disagreement always on preferences. Um, a modern-day example is, is culturally there, there is a different music style and a different presentation style, so let's just embrace it. Um, we're not giving out tapes anymore when, after a Bible study. Um, to some degree, we're not even doing CDs anymore. Just go to the app and go to the website. It's all free. Um, but, but let's understand where we're at. Like any missionary would tell you, they would adapt to the culture. And I love what, what Pastor Greg Laurie has said, and I'd love to get some time with that brother one day, uh, which I haven't uh, yet, but I'd love to. It's one of my prayers, uh, just to spend some time, buy him lunch. But at any rate, I get a lot of time with him through his books. And Pastor Greg said, and, and I one million percent agree with it, and it's something we've adopted here at Calvary, the message never changes, but the methods of delivering it do. The message never changes. You don't mess with the message. You don't mess with the gospel. But how to deliver it, how to adapt it, how to make it relevant uh, and contextual, uh, contextualizing it in to the audience that's in front of you, uh, very important. You know, for those of you that might have a problem with the idea of contextualization, don't. It's so simple. It, it, I would imagine if you taught me a Bible study, uh, I'm a man in my 50s, you taught me a Bible study, you'd use different illustrations than you would if you taught the same lesson to second graders. And I can hear everybody say, yes, of course, that I teach second graders different than I teach you. That's contextualizing. That is adapting to the culture. The culture is a room of second graders. So we're going to, I'm going to, I would have to do some research. I haven't had the privilege of having a second grader uh, in my life, you know, being disconnected from uh, family and grandson and such. I haven't been able, so I'd have to look it up um, and look up what, what are kids into today? What are they watching? And that's what I would connect with the kids. So we could do a whole session on this. It could be a good podcast uh, topic. But thanks, Larry. Great question. Thank you, Pastor Ed. That is not a bad idea, devoting a podcast to this very relevant subject. 
If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to calvaryco.church, or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to, and if today's study was a blessing to your life, we'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at calvaryco.church. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Christopher Yuan's book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. This book will help you better understand sexuality in light of God's grand story and come to realize that holy sexuality is actually good news for all. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or visit calvaryco.church. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 1 Corinthians. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.